Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, everyone, and this is the day before Turkey. No, this is only Tuesday. God, I thought it was Wednesday. Time flies. Time flies. Or no, Folks, time, we have time a very slow, Time goes. No, I think it's flying. We're on a different. See, ever since the Mayan calendar of 2012, Matthew, we were on a different timeline. Uh, this is the right. timeline where there's the Baron Stain Bears instead of the Baron Steen Bears. Uh, this is the <laughs> timeline where. Um, uh, what else? Uh, the Volkswagen symbol was is unconnected rather than being connected, and uh, this is also the timeline where Ivan Drago in the movie said, um, "I will break you" instead of "I must break you." Back in the original timeline, which <laughs> where I'm from, you know, so that that's where we are in the world. But anyway, folks, we have a very special transcendent from all times. The one and only Matthew Eret is with us. He is the author. Of the Clash of Two Americas, Volume One, Two, and Numero Tres, and he's also working on a uh, Clash of Americas, Two Americas, Volume Four, and also Cynthia, uh, uh, Cynthia Chung, his wife, has also an amazing book out. Uh, I can't wait to interview her. Um, that book is, whew. yeah, it's it, actually right here. There I, it uh... is. Look at that bad boy right there. Look at that. Look at that. And the title is The Empire on Which the Black Sun Never Set. So this is incredible. The whole entire, you know, British financial power backed with the occultic Nazi powers. And we have this amalgam of insanity that is making up the unipolar world. That book is that's out already, right? Yeah, it just came out this week. We got our first uh, author batch uh, box today. So we got about 80 of these things. So if people yeah. want Cynthia to sign a copy and, and mail it to them, uh, let us know. Uh, Info at Rising Tide Foundation. She will she will answer you happily. But yeah, this thing is deep. It's definitely not uh, it's definitely not the, the last thing to read in the day before you go to bed. If you <laughs> if you know Holy what I'm smokes. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you got you got to have your your brain fired up and caffeine. Well, I'm just saying if, not if you don't want to have nightmares. Oh <laughs> Jesus gets, Christ! Really? It gets there. I mean, you. Wow. We we kind of I think have have been initiated. We kind of understand that, and you alluded to you it. That there are some, uh, different origins to fascism in the twentieth century than than what popular Wikipedia entries have told us. 
Um, so she goes really deep into the weeds in, in a lot of these things. And it sort of sets the stage for the deeper occult secret societies that were even behind the scenes in the 19th century in Monteverita doing nasty ritual sex magic that interface with figures that, you know, created the Bolshevik movement like uh, Mikhail Bakunin and uh, Prince Kropotkin, who actually um, is another guru who is heralded as, as sort of this great mind by none other than folks like Bertrand Russell, but also a lot of the Austrian school libertarian crowd also sees <laughs> this uh, this freak as as a bit of an intellectual hero. Like Noam Chomsky does it as well on the eco-socialist anarchist side. You've got capitalist anarchist socialists. Um, there's, there's a common theme, I promise, at the heart of this whole beast. And it's ultimately the same thing we've been alluding to in every single show we've been dealing with which is the continuation of this oligarchical system of hereditary power going back thousands of years to Babylon, which has been utilizing the same techniques of cult creation, deployment, an appreciation for the science of mind and emotions of, 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 of the masses, mm -hmm. and how do you artificially create what I guess one might call spells, but not really magical spells. It's more using techniques to um, hypnotize or reframe the reality for the masses to walk into their own enslavement. And this has been going on since, again, as far back as we could tell in ancient history, this, these techniques have been used, they've been refined a little bit, but ultimately it's the same stupid formula that denies the exact same principle of a Promethean spark of an immortal soul and a love for truth and a, and a, and a desire to leap beyond one's limits, which yeah. every baby has and every healthy human being has this impulse to get better to because as soon as you you try to like stagnate and, and as soon as you try to like adapt to your comfort zone you're not going to get better you're gonna you're gonna stagnate and get worse as soon as you try to like say okay i, I want a comfort blanket i don't want to change anymore you're screwed so as soon as you get out of your comfort zone and get used to getting comfortable out of your comfort zone you you start discovering who you really are and it's the same thing for an economy right as soon as you get into a state where you're you're, you're leaping out of your limits to growth. You discover what you really are as a species that is capable of transforming nature for the better in order to make life better for humans in the future. And in doing so, you discover faculties that the oligarchy knows if they're awoken, they can't mm -hmm. put that back in the bottle. And so I think today, you know, we have JFK's anniversary, the, 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 the anniversary of his murder. It's been 59 years. And that sort of sets the stage for that. And also we've got... Um, this insane COP27 fanatical summit where a, there was an effort to reframe the Ten Commandments, which you guys have probably heard of it. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you got a, oh, a, a lame ecumenical alliance of different religious leaders from all faiths who went to Mount Sinai, where Moses, you know, received the first Ten Commandments and made a big ceremony about uh, creating a new, less outdated set of Ten Commandments. <laughs> which don't involve thou shalt not kill, strangely enough, anywhere on the list. Interesting. <laughs> That's now part of the new virtue is killing. Uh, yes, killing is a new virtue. And, and uh, I heard it. Well, what's up with these? Uh, they're, they're, they're legalizing um, eugenics in Canada now, where you can go into a... You, like, they want to pass some law where uh, you don't even need parental consent to end your life or something like that. I mean, I, I've heard of it briefly. I don't know if... Yeah, that's really happening. Uh, 
that's really happening. Yeah, there's uh, like dude. it's gotten pretty bad. Like already... I heard they're making like suicide centers with pods, and you walk into the pod, and you can end your life, and then the pod is biodegradable. And well, yeah, it's like tied to a new set of green restaurants that uh, sell oh. really good tofu uh, burgers. Soylent uh, green. <laughs> I love yeah. it. What a novel idea. It is. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's 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 a. Uh, it's soy soy bent. Um, soy bent violet, though I think is what they want to call it. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, no. I mean, th this is really the case. It's not it's not uh, an exaggeration. By March of 2023, they want to uh, allow mature minors now to access the right to die if they're even if I mean, this thing started. In, in, a, in what people thought was a gray zone, but for anybody paying attention to the actual architects and, in, in, and intentions animating the world system, they would know very quickly that this was simply creating a space by which we could start devaluing the idea that human life has somehow a sacred quality that you cannot measure with dollar figures. And back in 2017, there was the first tranche of this euthanasia program introduced legally on the federal level. It had already been done provincially, yeah. but it still had certain strong limits in the sense that you had to absolutely prove that this person was hopeless, that they were living an unbearable pain that they had like several doctors who would say, okay, they've got maybe, you know, five months to live. And, um, and you had to have a lot of conditions met. It wasn't an easy thing. Now, <clears throat> As soon as that was passed, I forget the name. I think it was Bill C. I want to say C. Ten. Doesn't matter. As soon as that was passed, immediately they they began eliminating all of the different conditions. So mm. within a couple of years, they got rid of the uh, you know must ha must have a foreseeable death, and the question of uh, unbearable pain just they basically became anything even emotional. You know, pain could be your emotions are painful um, just as much as, you know, having stomach cancer. And so even being depressed in that sense, because what is pain? It's all subjective, right? Stomach right. cancer pain for one person might be not as bad even as emotional pain for somebody who has just gotten uh, they've lost their girlfriend and they're really depressed. You're right. That pain could be even worse for them because it's all personal. So then that all of a sudden became a new sphere, but you still had to be, I think, you know, it, you couldn't be a minor um, unless, and, and then all of a sudden, well, you could be a minor, but you had to get parental consent. And now they're saying, well, you know what? Minors are actually, we should be like David Suzuki or Al Gore. Others have been saying, you know, minor, minors is, is it's, a, it's a bigoted word because young people have greater wisdom than older people anyway, because they know intuitively that global warming oh. is real. They're more mature. Look at mm. even though she's like probably 25 right now and they just got her on hormone blockers or whatever else to keep her looking young. But they're like, look, mature minors should be allowed to make the decision on their own and mm. not have, I mean, we're already allowing them to do gender realignment with. Yeah, they could own. chop. Look, I, I, you know, it's totally normal. Five girls can chop off their genitals if they want. It's, you know. They yeah. know that they can, they're another gender, just like they know that they can be a dolphin or they could be a wildebeest, they could be whatever they want, yeah, exactly. And and so, what's I mean, what, what's what's the next what's there such a big deal about telling them that they can't also just end their end their life? What is life anyway? Ultimately, what is just exactly See? and electrical impulses? That's all so it is, like, huh? you're good, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was just saying, it's like, yeah, what is life? We're just nothing but a bunch of proteins and, you know, amino acids just floating around in a primordial soup. That's all we are. Yeah, it's just you know, it's and just life Adam. came because because a rock got struck by right lightning, man. We all came from rocks. If you trace it all the way back, you go past the ape and you whittle down evolution. I don't know which form of evolution you follow. If it's macroevolution, spontaneous evolution, or 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 um, uh, microevolution, which each one says the other two are impossible. But whichever one you 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 adhere to in terms of a school of thought. We all, you whittle it down, we all came from the rock that was struck by lightning, Matthew. So what is life anyway? What is life? There, there's a really good, did you guys ever see the documentary by Ben Stein called uh, "No uh, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed? In yes. Brilliant yeah. documentary. For those that haven't seen it, go see it. Ben Stein's. Yeah. It's it's so good. It's so good. This is like Nixon's former speechwriter. And the guy the, this is the guy, Ben Stein, who who's famous for Bueller. 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 And also the Visine commercial. Dry eyes. Try yeah. Visine. <laughs> yes. As it stands, he's he's a brilliant, brilliant um polemicist. And in this documentary, yeah, like he he's just asking this very naive, simple question, like, how does Darwinian the Darwinian theory of evolution explain the appearance of life on the planet. Whereas before a certain moment, there was evidence of no life. And, you know, he has got Richard Dawkins. He's got all of the big hitters from this, you know, all of the, the, the modern pseudo priests of the cult of Darwin who somehow agreed to sit down and talk to the guy. And, you know, the, they're the, they're celebrated as the smartest guys in the room, but for such a simple question that even like a seven year old child would want to ask, like, how is life, <laughs> right? How does your theory account for the 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 appearance of life? They sound insane. Like you see how uncomfortable they all are, and they're getting very defensive. And one guy, I forgot, he's like some Oxford scholar or whatever, and he's uh he's a big celebrity in the Darwinian world, and he's like. Well, it's it's easy. It's simple to account for. It's just it's below all, all, all considerations, even. But but if you really want to know, it's crystals, crystals, and electricity, and this. And if you get the right right sulfur, uh, you can get life. And he's like, when did that ever happen? Like, when did we ever do that in an in a laboratory or anything? Yeah. <laughs> and the guy, like, I think practically, like, has a has a spontaneous combustion. He doesn't finish the interview at that point. He just because there are a bunch yeah, of dogmatic idiots, and that's what we have. Like, we have nothing but Malthusian, satanic, dogmatic morons who are in the process and who have been creating these cults all over the world in order to maintain a form of control. And that, that form of control is coming apart at such an alarming rate. It's crazy to witness mm-hmm. this. It's wonderful to witness this. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this is where I, I wanted to really just really contrast, like, how this happened and the importance of reevaluating JFK's living memory today and I, I don't mean jfk jr i'm not talking about QAnon. i mean jfk ha- is still alive was, in the sense I'm of glad you mentioned that. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> jfk is alive in a sense <laughs> but it, but i mean it from a <laughs> metaphysical sense of his soul's efficient existence like what he did he acted in an immortal way he was he was a very when you read his writings i've been reading a lot of his his articles his speeches and also his books he wrote a couple of books on the burden of glory and uh uh uh, forget the other one um but he the, he's very clearly situated his own identity as we all could do 
within a, a deep, deep framework of history. He studied Aeschylus. He studied the political battles of ancient Athens. He brings it into his discourse. He's, he has a strong sense of not only the, the types of, of stupid thinking that got us into unnecessary wars like World War I, which he's, again, really studied. He's had Douglas MacArthur, who people could have, I mean, there's problems with M MacArthur, but what you could say is towards the end of, the, end of his life, he definitely recognized the nature of the deep state that took over control of much of the United States and was trying to, to give JFK a handle. And I think he did a pretty good job on how to how to do combat with this beast. Um, so did Charles de Gaulle, the, another World War II general. And keep in mind, JFK was himself a combatant in World War II. He lost his older brother. And um, and like he's he's so solid on his choice to live for something higher, even if it means dying. And he was very aware that he might um, die because of the fight that he was choosing to take up. Just like mm. Franklin Roosevelt understood this and had that self-awareness. You could see it in his speeches. You could see it in um, Lincoln. You could see it in McKinley. But you could definitely see it in JFK. And, and part of the idea of his deep internalizing of history and of these deep waves, and he talked about even Prometheus, um, was that he was looking towards the future in, a, in an Augustinian way. So just mm. like just like Augustine saw a city of God being something that was destined for human, humankind, that we could modulate our, our behavior according to the idea of God's law and perfect our bad laws in accordance with what God created us to be. JFK very, very clearly saw that. You, you could hear it in his discussions on the space program and how he saw it not as a as a fight to beat the Ruskies to the moon, but he really saw it as the idea of a human rebirth as a species that would extend itself by the end of the millennium to the edge of the solar system. And he talked about the, the importance of, of, of funding fusion rockets. He had a whole fusion rocket uh, program called Niver, uh, Minerva mm -hmm. to utilize fusion power that had only been used for bombs, like thermonuclear reactions, but to right. use it instead for propulsion of systems uh automated systems that could then you know move at accelerating speeds replicating gravity moving in outer space throughout the throughout the what i i mean throughout it's it's essentially it's an ocean right an ocean of cosmic cosmic radiation to get to mars in like three or four days or even <coughs> system in a couple of months if you have this type of technology and he was pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into these things so he never saw it again. He, he even called for the Russians to be joint allies with America in working together on a jointly controlled space program to overcome the mistrust and the things that were getting us into the Cuban Missile Crisis. So he had a, an idea of not just like the test ban treaty, which is like a really good thing that they banned yeah. you know, bombing uh, nuclear warheads in the atmosphere. That was great. But that was just a small step of many steps planned to get a, a, a new coherence of self-interest around opposing ideological groups, communist and capitalist, but around a higher idea that what of what makes us human beings around the idea of we are the species that leaps beyond our limits, that goes beyond our limits to growth. And uh, there's a, a quote where he directly takes aim at Thomas Malthus, the, the, the core godhead of today's great reset and the, the entire great like green new deal greening of the the church that pope francis has overseen for the past decade nearly which is just extracting the divinity of christ from the church and saying that no what is really the only true divinity is gaia 
that's where the divine is located in, in just respecting Gaia's desire to be left alone and adapting to, to, to Gaia's limits. That's the new, that's the new virtue. And the, the new sin is any type of activity that infringes upon Gaia by like, let's say building a dam or hydroelectric power station. Well, that infringes upon Gaia's freedom to be left alone. And that is thus a sin. So that's, that's, that's essentially Malthus 101. Now, JFK spoke against Malthus, and I got a little quote here. I just wanted to read it. But he says Malthus, and this is at a, an, academy, a, an American Academy of Science event that he was keynoting. Malthus argued a century and a half ago that man, by using up all of his available resources, would forever press on the limits of subsistence, thus con condemning humanity to an indefinite future of misery and poverty. We now can begin to hope, and I believe know, that Malthus was expressing not a law of nature, but merely the limitation then of scientific and social wisdom. The truth or fallacy of his prediction will depend now with the tools we have on our own actions now and in the, in the years to come. And so this, this president was epistemologically on a very high level. He was on top of the, the core... Um, nerve center of what makes this oligarchy tick and what is it afraid of and what is it that that human beings actually are and he was fighting as well at the same time because you know he was saying this speech in 1961 1961 was also the date where the prince philip prince um um bernhard of the netherlands and another uh, figure named julian huxley who was at the time also the the president of the british eugenic society the three of them we're, we're bringing online a certain organization that is called the World Wildlife Fund for Nature, 1961. And the World Wildlife Fund was, it, it had a lot of overlap with Rand yeah. Corporation in America bringing in systems analysis, cybernetics analysis into planning of policy. This is like the think tank of think tanks in many ways, right under the, the Council on Foreign Relations. But Matt, and, I mean, what's wrong with that? What's what's wrong with a conservation animal-focused thing called the World Wildlife Fund and all these other things, having this this um, incredible military technology and logistics uh, defense contractor joining up with them? Like, that's totally fine, right? Totally, totally <laughs> okay. And James Schlesinger was a, a figure tied to this thing to essentially saying that all planning from foreign policy, geopolitics to um, a, a conservation, all has to abide by um, mathematical limits that our computer models uh, utilize. Because all computer models can only operate within certain fixed limits as a system. The computer itself is a fixed system. And any type of growth you can get out of a computer is of a purely quantitative growth. It can make things faster, but even there, you can only compute faster within, within an asymptotic upper limit. You know, you, these, these microchips can only get so small. The circuit boards can only get so small beyond a certain point where you need, you're, you're like pressing on a boundary condition that requires you to think completely differently. Yeah. So the computer can't do that. Only a human creative mind can imagine a solution concept to these types of, of boundary conditions. But that requires thinking like Mozart or thinking like, like, like Einstein or Max Planck or Madame Curie or, or any of these great scientists of, of the 19th and early 20th century who were all also artists, musicians, they were all hyper, hyper moral people as well, for the most part, not, not in every case, but the greatest scientists, you'll find they also situated their, their soul within a, a deep sense of responsibility to humanity, 
Like Madame Curie could have made millions of dollars. She was offered, you know, when she discovered polonium and uh, radium, she, she was offered the ability to patent it, to own it. And she said, well, why am I going to do that? I mean, this is like an element of nature. And she could have made millions of dollars if, he, if she chose to. And a lot of the great scientists have been given similar offers, but they, they all recognize that their discovery was not something you could own. It was something that had to be shared for the benefit of all humankind. The oligarchy thinks of science very differently. They think of it purely as something to control the masses. And to the, the, the garb of conservationism was selected as a, a useful way to deceive people after World War II that eugenics had gone away. And there was a few other names that were created after World War II to try to wrap eugenics around different, more clean, nice names, transhumanism being one of them, which was coined, by the way, by two figures in 1954, Julian Huxley and Pierre de Chardin, the Jesuit infiltrator of the, of, of the, the church, who was assigned to do a job his entire life to create a new synthetic religion on a neo-Darwinian revision with some Christian veneers in order to weaken and undermine the church. This became sort of something that, that, that took over, especially in the 60s, during the Vatican II, the liberalization of the church, the abandonment of a lot of the ancient uh, traditions within the church around uh, something which is relatively arbitrary. But so Julian Huxley and Chardin together coined the term transhumanism as a new religion, a, a pseudo-Darwinian religion for the elite to manage the, uh, the, the, the untermenschen, the lower humans, so for the higher humans to control the levers of, uh, of selective breeding and natural selection, which would not be nature. It would be just these elite humans who work for things like Davos. And Julian Huxley is also doing something around the World Wildlife Fund as well, creating that thing with the founder of the Bilderberger Group, Right. And Prince Philip, the I, I wish to be born again as a deadly virus to solve over overpopulation. Prince Philip, father of Charles, who's also, by the way, Charles was also the patron and president of the World Wildlife Fund for Nature of Britain for uh, a number of years before becoming king. So the, the whole term conservationism becomes a new a new way to on another level infuse a eugenics outcome because it's all about the outcome into the management of society around the idea that. No, we're not actually going to save humanity from starvation or abuse by empire or uh, wars. No, that's not that's that's the old obsolete wisdom. The new wisdom is we're going to save nature from human beings because the this the ideology is that everything that humans do, like I was alluding to earlier, is an infringement upon Gaia. You build a dam, you build a railway, you're raping nature. You 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 you, you carve out a mine. You're raping nature. And the idea of that visceral rape of Gaia became the new sin. So JFK is giving, he gives another speech tackling conservationism. And he says, look, there are two, this is his, this is actually his rising tide speech that a rising tide lifts, lifts all boats. Um, he says, there are two points on conservationism that have come home to me in the last two days. And this is when he's touring the United States, especially the, the West Coast, around the building of dams, because he built a lot of dams, JFK, a big climate offender. Um, but he says, there are two points on conservation that have come home to me in the last two days. One is the necessity for us to protect what, already, what we already have, what nature gave to us, and use it well, not to waste water or land, to set aside land and water, recreation, wilderness, and all the rests now so that it will be available for those to come in the future. All good. Good idea of conservation. We don't want to pave the world, right? 
that he says that is the traditional concept of conservation, and it still has a major part in the national life of the United States. But the other part of conservation is the newer part, and that is to use science and technology to achieve significant breakthroughs as we are doing today, and in that way, conserve the resources which 10 or 20 or 30 years ago may have been wholly unknown. Now, you're like, well, what's he talking about? Well, if you think about it, like 10, 20, 30 years ago, helium-3 or tritium might not have been considered much of a resource. It's just that these are just isotopes of helium or hydrogen that are there in every, like all over the, well, tritium is, is more abundant. Deuterium is quite abundant. It's another, you know, uh, isotope of hydrogen. Helium-3 is not abundant. It's only, it's only abundant on, on the, on the moon. But, you know, JFK is basically saying, like, we, we have to use technology in order to make nature better. And also in so doing, when you use these things that 30 years ago were not resources, when you make a new discovery of the fusioning of an atom that results, res, re, you know, has two uh, uh, light atoms that can be induced to fuse together, generating a heavier atom, but that is now has a mass defect. The mass of that heavier atom is slightly less than the sum total of the two lighter atoms that had fused. What had happened to that missing mass? Well, it became an, an immense amount of energy that if you can harness that energy, then all of a sudden you can do things that other human beings in previous age, previous ages, when you were ignorant, could not have done. And so the idea of, let's say, two, three billion people in 1902 on the earth might have sounded kind of tight. Well, if you have these new technologies, not only does that loosen up quite a bit, it, it actually means that you have the means to support 40, 50 billion people all of a sudden with abundance, but also the, the resources themselves, well, you were formerly more reliant on coal when you didn't have knowledge of that tritium and deuterium and, and, and helium-3, when you didn't know that they could be used to create higher quality uh, energy mm. than all of the coal and all of the oil that had ever existed. You didn't know that. You were forced to, to wear down, to dig down and deep all of the, the coal and wood and, and, and natural gas and oil. You had to do that. But now yeah. you wouldn't want to do that when you have something which is more efficient to use, gives you more power output, is more reliable. Um, all of a sudden, you're going to conserve, you know, your uh, your coal and oil deposits all of a sudden. You won't really want to use it. Maybe you'll use it for plastics more than anything else. You won't really use it for burning things. So, But that requires that you have a constant commitment to discover and then apply the, the fruits of those new discoveries all the time. And control freaks like Julian Huxley, other eugenicists, Tyel de Chardin, obviously Bernhard and Philip, these control freaks, freaks hate that stuff because their computer models can never, can never know how a discovery is going to be made. They can only extend linear extrapolations of present trends into the future, but that never lets you know how a discovery, a nonlinear discovery is made. They can, you can't know it. So they they want to, they would prefer to ban discoveries just so that they could have a system of complete predictability of mathematical certainty, which is a chimera, you know, and, and an ironic mm -hmm. chimera. Because these same oligarchs admit that that is in, in while it is their maximum good that they desire, it is also an impossibility to achieve and they will admit it. But they would rather that arbitrary desire be maintained than acquiesce to the fact that they're wrong in their assumption of what human systems are, or what they are in relation to those systems that they wish to be gods over. 
So it's really this ah, it's 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 disgusting in that sense, right? It's just so disgusting. Yeah, it, it, it's it, 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 they would. This is why, oh, man. I think one of these days you're gonna have to do a deep dive for all of us on Malthus and yeah. why his his philosophy. This guy, this this derelict clergyman from the 1700s, and his views are so like revered by Western thinking. It's incredible to me. It's like they they want us to have a population of 500 million, you know, in perpetual balance with nature. Blah blah blah. And most people don't realize when they say the words like, oh, the world's overpopulated. It's not. You can take 8 billion. And I think last week the 8th billion person was born on planet Earth. So you can take mm-hmm. 8 billion people that are on this planet, give them each an acre of land, and stick them all in Texas, and there still will be massive amounts of room. It's not That's an acre of land, It's but it's a lot of land. It's, it's like a house, a town, yeah. like a, a, a small house with a yard. You can give yeah. everybody a, a small house and a yard. Not that you'd ever want to arrange a, a city this way, but still, just to, like you said, it, it puts it in perspective. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a quite a bit of space. And yeah, it would all fit in Texas, all 8 billion yep. people. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that, that's astoundingly good. I mean, and uh, and frankly, there's so many other ways to create space and abundance that we're told your your mind is not allowed to go there because like look at california they're taking down this week they they're they're demolishing they're spending 500 million dollars to demolish four dams that were built up under john f kennedy's period and a bit before that which provide water irrigation electricity a whole variety of benefits they're demolishing them in order to um liberate nature and basically a few frogs and salmon species that they you know have been have had their journeys infringed upon by the existence of these dams so <clears throat> yeah i mean we're we're undoing all of that which had formerly made us human and if you think about it you you can do this again we could we could desalinate water we're told like oh yeah california is overpopulated there's there's more people in california than all of canada does that mean it's overpopulated no, no it's not the least bit. No, it, it's it's a natural desert, but that's a testament to the hu- to the to the human genius because the reason why people are living in California is because of Franklin Roosevelt's Imperial Valley um, water projects from JFK's dozens of dams that he built under the first Brown uh, governorship, who was not bad. It was his son who was a disaster, a New Age Maury Strong worshiping disaster, who brought in the Club of Rome. But the father would have been was ashamed of what his son was doing, and I mean they they transformed this desert region into a into a green zone that was one of the biggest vegetable growing regions of the world, and you know you're wondering like well why are we being told now we have to depopulate or that we have to undo all of the the people that have been living as useless excess overhead eaters in California? Well, it's like look at all the water you've got a lot of ocean water. Why don't we have a program to desalinate, take some of the salt away? Because you're like, oh, the salt makes it unusable, so we can't use ocean water, stupid. It's like, well, why not do reverse osmosis? Why is that so hard? We do it. We've done it. It works. Um, make that salt water become pure, then bring it in, right? Look at all the water that's going to waste in the north. We've talked about uh, the North American Water and, Pow- and Power Alliance, with which JFK's brother was, was fighting for before he died, which is taking all of this excess wastewater in the north, in the Yukon and Alaska, and just simply bring it down, bring like even 5% of that wastewater that part, that doesn't participate 
in any biospheric activity. It's just, it literally just rains down in the north. It evaporates, rains down in the north in the ice where there's no life and just drains right, right back out into the Arctic and the, and the North Atlantic Ocean or North Pacific Ocean. That's useless. The, those water molecules deserve to participate in life. Bring them down. Let them participate in life and also maybe su sustain some humans too. I mean, we are alive. So, but the, the oligarchy said all of this is verboten. No, none of this way of thinking is permissible. Yep. We have so, limits uh, to growth, know, as Maurice Strong says. What's that? We have limits to growth, as Maurice Strong put it. Yeah. And, like, these guys are self-consciously, like you said, they, they call themselves Malthusians. And Malthus, when you read this nasty hellish freaks writings like this guy just like pope francis is nominally a man of the cloth he, a, a, you know he's a yeah. parson and uh he says things in his essays on population as you were talking i brought it up uh for first edition 1799 essay on population thomas malthus we should facilitate instead of foolishly and vainly endeavoring to impede i should do this in british uh in a, with a british accent the operations of we should facilitate instead of foolishly and vainly endeavoring to impede the operations of nature in producing this mortality. And if we dread the too frequent visitation of the horrid form of the famine, we should seditiously encourage other forms of destruction, which we compel nature to use. In our towns, we should make the streets narrower, crowd more people into the houses, and court the return of the the plague. He actually says we have to court the return of the plague. What a man of God. <laughs> well, man of God, right? Because these are the gifts God nature gave us that God gave us to regulate population. Yes. And then he says, this is where it gets even more messed up if you could believe it. He says, um, um, yeah, so who who are who are of relatively low value to society? I should propose a regulation to be made declaring that no child born from any marriage taking place after the expiration of a year from the date above the law, and no illegitimate child born two years from that same date should ever be entitled to parish assistance, church assistance. The infant is, comparatively speaking, of little value to society, as others will immediately supply its place. What the fuck? He's actually talking about baby killing. <laughs> like they, they teach this guy in school. Yep. <laughs> he's openly talking about baby killing. It's disgusting, man. They 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 read him like he's some sort of great intellectual giant. He's an idiot, a moron, a delusional, evil miscreant. Yeah. Well, and 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 this is where it's useful to look at. Like, what did Pope Pope Francis is a Jesuit, right? He's a follower yeah. of Pierre de Chalde, who was the the founder of transhumanism. He brought in a Jesuit takeover of the Catholic Church. Now, it doesn't mean that all Catholics think like him. In fact, I would say most Catholics don't think like him. Correct. But it's a big political takeover and a purge of a lot of the, the anti-Malthusian resistance within the structures of the church. That is, that's been going on since especially, I mean, it was already going on since the 60s, but it really got bad with, with Pope Francis' takeover. But he said in his 2015 Laudato Si encyclical, he, he attacks directly the the idea of human beings as a Promethean character. And I've got a quote from a, an article I wrote called uh, COP27 and Pope Francis's Greening of Christianity. Um, it's going to be actually a chapter in the, in the volume four of The Clash of the Two Americas. But he says, an inadequate presentation of Christian anthropology gave rise to a wrong relationship of the 
uh, sorry, a wrong understanding of the relationship between human beings and the world. Often, what was uh, handed, on, uh, handed on was a Promethean vision of mastery of the world. And he, in this encyclical, he calls for the need to eliminate the Promethean sense of Christianity, which was what was Prometheus. Well, I mean, Prometheus is the character of Aeschylus uh, that he created in Prometheus Bound. It was an archetype for human beings. And Promethe Prometheus was known as the, the demigod, a demigod who loved humankind. And he disobeyed gods, which was, you know, at the time Aeschylus was writing this in what was it, was it 450 BC? Um, Zeus was the, the god of gods. And Zeus had a law which said that human beings must never have knowledge of fire. That's only for the gods to know in their, you know, and, and Zeus is a debauched God who, who loves his orgies and, and other things. And one day after an orgy, he's all, you know, he's hung over, not really thinking straight in the story. This is the Aeschylus story. He's all, he's all <laughs> zonked out. And, uh, and Aeschylus steals the, the fire that he had left in his torch um, just on the ground gives it to man and, and as the story goes he shares fire as as being symbolic of the discovery of mathematics astronomy animal husbandry metallurgy the arts music like it's 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 representative of the creative power of discovering the laws of nature and translating them for the benefit not just of nature but also especially of human beings which are a part of nature and the creative spark is a part of nature it's not that you have like this pristine natural equilibrium and then you have human thinking which is unnatural. It's like, no, human thinking is a part of nature because nature is creative. Look at the fact that we can't account for why life came from non-life. If you're a Darwinian, that makes no sense because there is nothing in the non-living domain of molecules that accounts for the appearance of the, of, of the principle of life that has a completely different mode of existence. It's the, the only way to account for that type of discontinuous leap that we find embedded in fossil records and new systems coming into being. There's no gradualism like Darwin would have us expect to believe. There's no gradual, slow turning from monkey to human. You've got these discontinuous leaps. And even though Pierre Taillard de Chardin was on the teams back in Britain in 1912 or in, in Beijing under the Rockefeller uh, dig to find, you know, first, first the Piltdown Man, Missing Link, or, or later on what became the Peking Man, Missing Link. That was what the Chaldean was assigned to do was try to find the missing links to account for why Darwin was right and why the, the church should adapt to Darwinism. Now, <clears throat> the reason why you don't actually find these missing links is because the universe is creative. It's animated by a spirit of creativity. And oh, lo and behold, so are we. You know, we also have design, intention, creativity, these same impulses that one would say are purely human? No, we actually find them, their traces in everything we could see within the formation of galaxies, stars being shaped out of galaxies, like suns are being generated by processes we don't even know, but it's definitely organized. It's definitely beautiful. It's arranged by the golden section. You could see the tracing of this in the, in the spiral formation of galaxies, which are constantly generating new suns. They're generating new supernova, which are themselves generating all sorts of, of elemental... Uh, elements that we find arranged on the periodic table, all organized in a harmonic fashion, such that human beings can think can think upon and then act upon these concepts that are embedded in the fabric of the universe, right? God's mind. It's like we're actually tapping into God's mind when we're thinking in this way and being moral. 
So when we're shaping our laws, the way Benjamin Franklin, who is like known as the Prometheus of America, right? That's how the, the French um, elite saw Ben Franklin and they, they called him the Prometheus of America because yeah. he, he had grade three education, wasn't from a noble family, but was able to trump creatively all of the best brains of Europe, these arrogant imperial slumps who just la they had knowledge of facts, but they had no love of truth. So right. with all of their, their book learning, they couldn't discover the, the nature of electricity. And it required this hillbilly from the outskirts of the empire to trump everybody and not just do that by discovering and communicating the nature of electricity and also the associated now new inventions like lightning rods and other things you could do with that. But he was also working to create a new type of society founded upon the idea of a rejection of hereditary orders, mm. the rejection of Zeus's you know, law that only the gods must control the, the, the godlike uh, elites. U Uber mentioned the transhumans could yeah. control the use of scientific power. But no, in fact, all human beings are sovereign, not just one sovereign or just a, a coterie of elite managerial sovereigns. Everybody is sovereign. And because of that, we can all participate and discover the laws of creation and make life better if we have a legal code which was enshrined in the Declaration and in the Constitution that enhances and creates a fertile cultural soil for those seeds to grow. So this is the Promethean Christianity, which people like Pope Francis, like the encyclical, like Tile de Chaldain, like the entire, you know, freak show running the Great Reset, they're all afraid, deathly afraid of this. And so when you read Putin's remarks, read some of his core speeches over the past three, four months, or even the past 10 years, just read them. And you could, it just... It, it 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 strikes you of mm. Promethean Christianity, all of them, and just like JFK's speeches, and just like Martin Luther King's speeches. Read the speeches, listen to that. It's that is that is what the oligarchy is afraid of. And frankly, while you're at it, I'm, I mean, I know you guys do this. I'm talking to the general you in, in the audience here, but read the writings of Xi Jinping. Like, actually, read what he does. You could buy his books, his collected writings, and you could actually find something that's more Christian in there than most any Christians that we still see bouncing around in the West right now, trying to act like they know what's going on. But he's um, a godless communist. But he's a godless copy, right? I mean, that's the, <laughs> it's, it's so easy to brush that off, but it's like, no, it's you, you have in Confucianism, there's a Confucian Renaissance in China. That's mm -hmm. also, which is all enshrined upon certain moral principles, which have very deep parallels. It's the same principles that we see active within the, the Christian cultural matrix as well, of the idea of Tian Ming, the, the harmony of heaven and earth, and the idea that human law is only legit if you have it in conjunction with the law of heaven, that uh, the principle of Li, the principle of Ren, uh, Ren being agape, the, the idea of, of a general love of humankind, that is a deep Confucian principle which was enshrined in the works of Mencius, in Shu Si, yeah. in many others. And, and so there's all of these common... Um, points of of the same ideas of man and nature and God's law that were being grappled with by different cultural matrices over thousands of years. And unlike us in China, their current leadership is not willing to sacrifice or erase those ancient cultural traditions, just like Russia, which is why Russia and China's leadership or uh, partnership is so unbreakable right now, because both of those nations those are, are are seeing themselves more than nations and more like as you could think of as like a as a civilizational force correct there are civilizational powers something that the united yeah. states is not 
Exactly. And, and the other thing is also is like they understand that the most powerful driver is human culture. The Western elites, they don't have culture anymore. They've they've supplanted it with 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 philosophy and ideas and and dogma and their worldview and their Malthusian satanic worldview, to say the least. And they think that, you know, in all their projections and everything they do, everything is in a vacuum. And it never fully accounts for the power that is human culture and human traditions. And I love this quote, Matt. There's a quote that once says, tradition is not the worship of ashes. It is the preservation of fire. Ooh, that's good. Who did that? Mm. Yeah, I don't remember. That's a damn good quote. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's sharp. That's really sharp. Well, you know, like this is the thing. Like the um, <clears throat> we're we're at a we're at a state right now where it's really a, an existential point of decision as 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 a species that we are being expected to make. Um, we have no choice but to make this decision, and we know that. And this gives me amount, a, a large amount of hope. I know that if there wasn't a, a serious resistance to this to this oligarchy, as many people say, like many people are kind of black pilled, you know, and we've talked about this, that they're like, well, all, all points are equally controlled because look, there there was a Chinese Gustav Mahler. That's the guy's name. Gustav Mahler. Gust- okay, I'm gonna write that yeah. down. Yeah, Gustav Mahler. And people will say, look, there's there's um there was a, there there were Indian and Chinese and Russian delegations at COP27. There were um the, the, the Russians and the Chinese and the Indians say things that sound similar to the things that are said by uh, by Klaus Schwab. They, they're talking about digital currencies in uh, in Eurasia. They talk about yeah. that. Yeah. They, and so does Klaus, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates. They want that, too. Look at what they're doing at the New York Fed right now or the, the Bank of Canada. I mean, in, in, in Canada, you, we have, um, you know, Van City, one of the biggest banks in Vancouver, is uh, is initiating a new type of um, social credit um, green, you know, green carbon credit of that they're going to be doling out for people who want to be punished for being climate offenders for buying things that are that are not climate neutral. So you're going to pay um, a heavy toll as an individual for buying meat or putting too much gas in your gas tank or whatever else. Um, and they're going to have special credits now as as a pilot project. They're doing things like this in New Zealand and in Australia. And you're like, is this the sort of thing that the Russian Chinese leadership is talking about as well when they're talking about central bank uh digital currencies or digital currencies in general and it's like well to answer that question want us to look at well what are they doing well the reason why cop 26 and cop 27 ultimately failed in achieving any of the actual um creation of mechanisms to force the quotas to force the de-fossil fuelization of nation states is because you have russia india china especially who all said, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to keep, I mean, China's burning more coal and fossil and fossil fuels, so that as they call them, let's call them hydrocarbons because they're not made of fossils. Um, they're, they're burning more of that now than ever before in history. And they're doing it from a standpoint of pulling people out of poverty in their own country and within other countries. And people could, could scream and moan about debt trap diplomacy. It's all, it's all neoconservative CIA propaganda bunk. If you actually Absolutely. look at any, any of the countries that have been working with China on building Belt and Road projects, you don't actually find any debt trap diplomacy anywhere. Anywhere. And here's the no. funny thing. If it's such a bad deal, and if it's a debt trap diplomacy, it's a horrible deal, and it's really unpopular, why is it that every single time, given a choice between what China and Russia is offering versus what the United States is offering, they always pick China and Russia 
10 out of 10 times. Why is that? Every single time. And yeah, exactly. No, it's, 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 it's very, very clear that they're currently committed to overcoming the limits to growth. They're not engaged in erasing their ancient civilizational traditions. They're extracting the LGBT, XYZ, Q to whatever else it is, uh, value systems from their school process, from their culture. They've been working to do battle with these things. They've expelled George Soros. They won't allow in the NED, the, the, the CIA front operations. Like there is an actual battle to extract and de-weed the deep state garden in uh, in uh, in Eurasia. <clears throat> India as well has has gone off the rails like they were supposed to be much more obedient to their uh, their MI6 and, and CIA overlords. That is increasingly broken down as India also realizes that, you know, they would rather not do that. And they would rather work with the Eurasian Shanghai Cooperation Organization and development process of the Russian opening up of the Arctic, Arctic, the East, getting cheap Russian gas, which they desperately need. And they're greening deserts like the things today. NASA has even given feedback uh, in 2019 that the world, unlike what all computer models forecast, we actually have more biodiversity right now and biomass in the world today than we did 20 years ago by a factor of something like 5% growth increase. Most of that is done and sustained. Like I'm, I'm talking like 70% of that is specifically through India and China's greening of the deserts. They got programs that JFK was doing that involve things like moving the south water north, where there's a lot of flooding in the south, a lot of dryness in the north in China, and moving. And they've gotten two of the three phases already done of moving parts of that water north. And in the process of doing that, building massive electricity uh, uh, projects like the the Three Gorges Yangtze River Dam and other things along the Yellow River and, and beyond, which are going to by the when this thing is done, it's going to green a big chunk of the Gobi Desert. And India is doing something similar for reforestation. Saudi Arabia is looking at this thing and thinking like, damn, we could do this too. They've got a program right now to build high speed rail across Saudi Arabia by massive Russian oil vector towards China. They've got it. They just signed a thirty billion dollar deal with South Korea right now for building a lot of big projects. Because they know that the current green post-Great Reset uh, agenda has no place for countries that are reliant upon burning fossil fuel or hydrocarbons. They're, they they had a, a role to play. It was a, a useful role under the under the, the system of evil of the past 60, 70 years. But they're ultimately going to be flushed, and they know it, as do all of these other Gulf states, UAE, Qatar. Uh, they, they, they all know that they're going to be flushed. So they have a choice to make, and as does Egypt, and as do other countries who have at different times, Turkey played nefarious roles within a broader geopolitical great game, but they're they're done. So now the only game in town that involves a future for them involves the Eurasian orientation for real leaping over limits to growth. Anti that's the that's where you see anti-Malthusian activity. So I don't care if you've got a digital currency, it doesn't matter if you're if your commitment is around ideas that are associated with human beings as a Promethean species capable of making new discoveries, applying them and leaping over limits to growth, you're okay. You're generally going to be on a, on a, on a path, which will be good. Now it doesn't mean that you can't be corrupted. Everything can be corrupted, right? But the thing is, that is the thing that scares the oligarchy. That is the thing that awakens the deeper powers of the human, of, of the human condition it makes us, gives us greater access to our sense of dignity, real pride in being a human, not being a virus, destroying, the, like a cancer earth guy, uh, like mother goddess Gaia, but rather really we are something sacred. And if you have that, you would not have euthanasia programs accepted 
that treat human beings like they're old cars. And just like you could throw out an old car when the cost of maintaining exceeds the the benefit that that car gives you, that you, you can't do that to a baby or to your grandma. Right. That's just it's wrong. Not from a mathematical standpoint, because a mathematician or a monetarist might be like, well, you're just a, a bucket of atoms. And if it costs too much to the to the, the 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 general welfare to maintain this bucket of atoms of a little baby who's not even like, you know, paying taxes um, as just a pollution machine, that's going to produce 56 metric tons of carbon dioxide in the course of their life. As <clears> a, <throat> and that's how these, these idiots calculate babies is is carbon dioxide emitting pollution machines. Um, or, or old people who are also not really like, you know, paying to the system. They're just overhead, you know. Well, we could just get rid of them, can't we? They're just like cars that are also just atoms. It's like, no, human beings that are actually tapping into their powers of creativity and making life better for themselves and the, those yet to come after us tap into their real human be- human powers. And that is sacred. That is tied to dignity, self-respect. And that is where we find what makes us really human. And that's what JFK, that's why JFK is still alive because that process was not sabotaged. He kept that, t- that torch going when it needed to be kept alive. And the fact that we have Eurasian nations that are currently picking up the torch that, that he, he lit and ran with, that's an irony of history. That's just a fun irony of history. Very well said. Matthew Eric, the man, the myth, the legend himself, the one only, one of the one half of the brain trust that you can find over at the CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, RisingTideFoundation.net, and make sure you subscribe to his Substack, Substack.com forward slash Matthew Errett. Purchase his books. It makes great stocking stuffers. Holiday season is coming. I'm going to be buying volume three and volume four, and I will be picking up Cynthia's new book. Make sure you guys do the same. It is recommended reading. Put it right next to the Bible on your coffee table. I have the I have oh. Atlas Shrugged, I have the Bible, and I have Matthew Eric right there. Those are the, <laughs> the, the three. <laughs> right. Thanks, uh, Matt, guys. thank you so much for joining us, man. Totally awesome. Sure, yeah. It was a pleasure, guys. All right. Absolutely. Take care. Gentlemen, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And folks, we will be back tomorrow. Do we have Gus tomorrow, CJ? Um, I need to check. I'm not sure. Gustavo has not been in contact. He's he's gone radio silent since getting back from Florence, Italy. If he ever, if he even decided to come back from Italy, he's been loving it over there, Matthew. He's been loving. I can imagine. Yeah, the the wine, the pasta, the food. He's a, the 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 civility of of living in Florence. I think it's finally got to him. I don't know if he's going to be coming back. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I hope he didn't lose him. <laughs> exactly. Thank you all for listening. Right. With that being said, CJ, take it away.